Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. If you're hearing this, then you are not on our private members-only podcast feed where we have our public episodes like this one, but tons more amazing mental wellness content, including our therapist circles, on-the-go articles, parent-focused meditations, and special episodes you won't want to miss. So head on over to yescollective.co, become a supporting member, and we'll get you your own private podcast feed today. Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast hosted by me, Justin Wilford, and Yes Collective co-CEO and licensed therapist, Ginny Walters. This month in the Yes Collective, we're focusing on building and maintaining deep, nourishing, and authentic relationships. So of course, we wanted to kick it all off with Ryle Castano. He's the author of Authentic Relating, a guide to rich, meaningful, nourishing relationships. He's a relationship coach and also the CEO of a company that trains people all around the world in the practice of authentic relating. The super basic definition of authentic relating is it's a set of ideas, practices, and games designed to teach people how to be their authentic selves while connecting deeply with other people and allowing them to be their authentic selves. A typical authentic relating session is like a set of really deep icebreakers that help people practice being authentic and present with themselves and open and caring towards others. We had Ryle on the podcast way back in episode 12, and it's still one of the most downloaded and discussed episodes we've ever done. I think the reason for this is that authentic relating is profoundly transformative, not just in our relationships, but internally within ourselves. Shows us how often we shut down, relate to others through habits, scripts, or agendas, or just miss opportunities for deep and real connection. In this episode, we talk about the five practices of authentic relating, how they relate to every relationship in our lives, from work to family to dating, and how authentic relating is a practical tool for cultivating emotional health in just about every aspect of our lives. So without further ado, here is our incredible conversation with the one and only Ryle Castano. Ryle, thank you so much for coming on the Yes Collective podcast a second time. So we had you on for episode 12, which was amazing. We had a really overflowing response to that. People wanted to know more about this weird thing um, of authentic relating. So I do want to point listeners there if uh, we are going to do a little basics of authentic relating, but Ryle, you also went into a lot of your own history uh, coming into authentic relating in that podcast. So I encourage people to go there, episode 12. So I was thinking as we were leading into this uh, episode, which is going to kick off our month around authentic relationships, authentic connection, and all of it, February was thinking about my trainings with you and with the training company that you helped to found uh, Art International. And I remember you sent out a clip in one of the trainings. This was the leadership training that I took on. Uh, it was a Gabor Mate clip. And he talked about how every child has to face this tension or this choice between authenticity and attachment. And that as humans 
we have to, as kids, always give up authenticity for attachment. Like we have to make this choice just simply for our survival. And that's why we all end up coming into adulthood needing uh, authentic relating and needing these practices because early on, like we had to give this stuff up. So before we dive into authentic relating and what that's all about, I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about this, this tension between authenticity and attachment, how that showed up for you in your life and how you eventually came to want to move into authenticity. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Awesome. Well, super sweet to be back here. Appreciate sharing the space again with you, Justin and Jenna as well. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Dr. Mate pointed out something that I thought was so, so potent and so relevant, so personal for so many of us, as you described this almost mutually exclusive value for secure attachment held against authentic expression. And he, he had said that for a child to grow up in a healthy environment, they really need to be supported in both of those values. Um, but as you also indicated, the vast majority of us grew up in a condition where the nature of our attachments were in some way threatened. We learned from an early age, if we show up in this particular way, it results in connection or attachment being withheld or redirected. Uh, and so there's a sort of conditional culture that we grow up in, in which we have to almost strategize, even at a young age, to be able to ensure the security of our attachment. And those strategies become ingrained in us and follow us into our adult relationships, where many of us are still strategizing in the context of intimate relationships to ensure that the relationship, the connection, the attachment is secure, and that we ward off any potential or perceived threats to that attachment. And so, as you said, Authentic Relating and um, my company, Art International, we're not only trying to re-educate or even offer an initial education in authentic expression, but we're actually demonstrating a complete paradigm shift around that binary mutual exclusion where they actually become synergistic. So the more authentically expressed I am, the more secure are my attachments and relationships, and the more secure my relationships are, the more authentically expressed I can be, which actually makes sense because if we bring our whole selves into a relationship, we're not playing any games, we're not strategizing, we're showing our full selves, we're bringing our vulnerability, we're recognizing that we're taking a risk by showing our whole full selves and how people might react. But in my experience personally, and as I've seen in now thousands upon thousands of students and graduates, it's the reverse. When we are willing to take the risk of showing our vulnerable selves, most often actually people that we're in relationship with come closer and drop their own guards drop their own strategies and join us in this uh, integrated sense of whole self in relationship. And that's the, that's the starting point to access the depths and realms and breadth of uh, the nourishment that's available in conscious relationship. Mm. Jenny, how did that land for you? Or, well, first, first of all, Jenny, what are your thoughts on this tension? authenticity and attachment and how did that land for you 
Yeah. No, I mean, amen is how it lands. Um, I love the, the language, the way the language points out that tension. Cause I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I had a therapist once say to me when I was working through a difficult loss of a, of a relationship and sort of recognizing the unconscious patterns that I had acted out in terms of protecting that relationship at even at the cost of my own um, well-being. And my therapist said, the child will choose attachment every time. And so it was about coming into this understanding that my child parts had really engaged with this person and had also uh, worked hard to maintain the attachment, even though it was causing me a lot of uh, pain. So it was a big wake up moment for me personally, and certainly shows up and work with clients and stuff as well. So yeah, I just think it's a really important thing to point out. And also just love what you're saying about how this can be synergistic, how that we can start to, well, we have a second chance as adults to start to do attachment a little bit differently and get to bring authenticity and let that that it doesn't have to be the ending of our story, that this was how it went as a child and therefore how it has to go as adults. And I, so that's always really helpful for me to, to hear. Yeah. I, I just, I wanted to tag on that. Actually. I, one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Tom Robbins. He says, it's never too late to have a happy childhood, which really gives us the invitation to go back and really reconnect with the, uh, both the innocence and the pain of childhood and to include them, to integrate them, to hold them. I also wanted to name that I don't want to send the message that somehow you're supposed to do all this personal work by yourself before you're actually ready to step into conscious relationship. I don't think it's that way at all. I think it's actually using the arena of conscious relationship to do a lot of this work of healing, of wholeness, of integration. Really the key, I think, of bringing those elements into conscious relationship and really what is the spirit of this practice of authentic relating is to bring awareness and consciousness to these aspects that constitute the self. So if it is that I'm reverting back to a childlike need for secure attachment or validation or affirmation, I can notice that impulse and I can name it to the person that I'm in relationship. Hey, I, I notice I've got this part of me. I'm scared. I'm anxious. I, I notice the impulse to reach out and grasp for attachment. And I just want to name that and share that with you. And, and that's the seed that leads to the most trustable relationships, I, I think, that are possible. When we're able to bring such transparency and honesty uh, and uh, an all-encompassing awareness into relationship. For me, that's actually what creates the most trustable kinds of relationships. I'm just imagining there are listeners who are like, oh my God, I don't like, if I did that, if I did what Ryle just said, share, I, I'm noticing a childlike part or I'm scared, or I would be afraid of being rejected. I'd be afraid of being critically judged. And this brings me back to one thing you said at the beginning was, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a dichotomy between attachment and authenticity. In fact, you know, as as we learn to become more authentic, we also become attached. But I'm also imagining, you know, we didn't learn this dichotomy out of nowhere. Like we were treated in this way at, at one point, either by our parents or, you know, with school kids or whatever else. And so this so. I'm wondering what you would say to the person who was like, oh, that, that, that couldn't work. That, that couldn't possibly work. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, then we get to include that as well. So if, if it is that someone's having the experience of, oh, wow, like if I share that, then 
you know, I'm setting myself up for rejection and I'm too afraid. Well, then share exactly that. I notice that as, as I prepare to share this, I'm really scared that you're going to reject me or judge me or push me away. Again, all of that is worthy of bringing into the conscious, explicit, relational space. I mean, imagine if you heard somebody you care about share that with you, the kind of impact that it might have on you. I, I imagine for most people, it would sort of leave you unguarded and um, curious and leaned in and, and, and caring for this person and their experience and wanting to really tend to this, you know, vulnerable, sensitive, delicate place that they're in. So, you know, the, the alternative is just to keep it in and shove it down and suppress and not bring voice to it. And how's that going to then manifest in the context of an ongoing relationship that values trust, you know, as a central principle? Yeah. And that's how a lot of people are navigating through, you know, intimate, longer term relationships is, again, strategizing. How do I stay safe in this relationship? How do I ensure that I will never be rejected? And interestingly, it's actually the carrying out and manifesting of those strategies that ultimately often produces a breakdown or disintegration or disconnection. Uh, and so it might be counterintuitive initially, but I so encourage people to take the risk of revealing what's actually true for them and seeing what happens. If it is that you reveal your authentic self to someone that you're in relationship with and they turn around and say, well, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Well, then I think that's probably an effective litmus test for the quality of the relationship to begin with. If they come back and say, wow, like, I really appreciate you sharing that. I feel closer to you. I feel more connected to you. Okay, well, then you have an indication of the underlying foundation of this relationship. I'm so curious. I, I wonder, too, if, if other listeners are curious about this. I'm wondering about you in the world as you move through your day, like are, is, is AR coming up with your interaction with, you know, the bank teller, or is it coming up with in specifically like truly like intimate relationships or are you utilizing these, this, this approach just across the board? And if so, what does that look like? What does that sound like? Yeah, it's these skills and tools are definitely meant to be applied across the board at even the smallest or you know most minute or fleeting encounter of human connection to decades long lifelong relationships and everything in between they really are they really are applicable to anywhere the humans are interacting i will say that there is no preference or bias in authentic relating to push you into connection if that means overriding some boundary value or need it's actually to be really rigorously honest with yourself. If I'm, you know, if, if I'm under-resourced and I'm feeling inward and introspective and I'm not really available to connect with anyone, then I'm going to live my life in alignment with that. Right? Authentic relating really is just revealing what's true. That, that's all it is. Uh, and, and offering the skills and tools to reveal what is true in oneself, in relationship, in the world. And so definitely I, I love having a moment of meaningful interaction even with the, the cashier at the grocery store or the bus driver or one of the most common stories I tell is when I was first learning this practice, I was traveling on airplanes all the time and I'd play this little game where I want to create a kind, any kind of connection or experience of intimacy with whoever I sat next to on the airplane and just bring in these skills of curiosity, of revealing, of intimacy uh, to bear on those interactions, overwhelmingly, I got to have the experience of intimate connection, even if it was just for a brief moment. 
So I definitely encourage people to apply these skills and tools across the board. And, you know, I think in even a few seconds worth of an experience of I see you and I'm seen by you provides nourishment. It provides something of value, almost like your heart is filled to just a bit more in these small but meaningful interactions that we get to have with people as we go through the flow of life. Yeah. That's beautiful. I just, yeah, I just had a, a memory of a time I was, I accidentally did AR. I didn't know anything about it. This was years, years ago, but I was at a camera store and the man helping me was just very cranky and rude. And I was really young and I was getting very, um, just anxious being around it. And I just said to him, you know, I'm not sure what's going on, but I just would like to buy a camera. But if this isn't a good time, you know, I can come back, but I'm so sorry that you're having such a hard day or something like that. Yeah. And he just stopped and he said, I am so sorry. I am in severe back pain Mm. and I deal with it every day of my life. And I'm so sorry. And I just don't realize how I come off. And we ended up having this like really lovely moment and interaction yeah. Where I could have easily just stormed off and said, you know, screw you. And, you know, just kind of, so it was just an, so I, I appreciate those beautiful little fleeting moments where those that get that connection and humanity gets to unfold is really rich. Yeah. That, that's a great example that actually speaks to, we, we developed what we call the five practices of authentic relating. And the second of them is assume nothing, which is the invitation to recognize the assumptions that I make about people that I encounter in life and how often those assumptions may distort or constrain or warp what is actually real, what's actually happening. Uh, and then I just carry about as if my assumptions were what's actually happening. And so your example is a, is a perfect example of transcending the what can be the constraining uh, way the assumptions act on us and getting to be with what's real and inviting somebody into meaningful connection. And I imagine for him just to be heard for a moment and seen in his experience made a real difference. Even if it wasn't like you did anything about his back pain, just for a moment of being able to meaningfully be seen, it, it matters so much. I would say all the more in this modern world, you know, and at the pace that we're moving and how we're being, you know, ever more technologically mediated in our connections, just to take that extra moment to bring some meaning, some care, some presence these interactions, I think, makes an enormous difference in people's lives. So, Ryle, you mentioned the second practice of the five practices of authentic relating. I want to talk about these. But before we do, I heard you define authentic relating, something like revealing what is what is true, something along those lines. I'm wondering if you could give us your your kind of full authentic relating definition yeah i mean one way to look at it is kind of like you living in a house with multiple rooms attic basement living room all that and there's just parts of the house that you have closed the door turned out the light locked and and just pretended like it didn't exist right so imagine like a basement right you just put all your shit down in the basement it's just all kinds of stuff you don't want to deal with, you don't want to see, you don't want to acknowledge. So it all just gets thrown in there, door closed, you know, lock, locked and, and key thrown away. And then at some point, you're probably going to start hearing or smelling or perceiving something emerging or emanating out of that basement that's going to affect the quality of your life, the quality of your relationships, your quality of a sense of well-being, of being at home in yourself. 
And the longer you persist in ignoring and suppressing and turning away from what's behind that locked door, the more it's going to impose itself on your life and undermine you know, your objectives, your goals, your values. And so authentic relating is supporting us lovingly, caringly with people by our side to go down, open the door, turn the light on and take a good look at what's there. That's the only way that we're going to really be able to integrate these aspects of ourselves that otherwise are going to continue to sabotage our lives and, and our path in life. Uh, and, and we get to do it together. We all have a basement to some extent. We all have, you know, a bunch of jumbled stuff left over from, you know, past memories and experiences and, you know, past pains and struggles. And so, you know, for example, in our courses, we all venture down into those, you know, sort of subterranean uh, areas and places and, and, and take a look and see what's there together. And it's not so bad, actually, once you actually are willing to take a look. It's the, you know, the demons and the odors and the fears actually turn into things that are fascinating, interesting, so worthy of our curiosity and exploration. And the end result is that we get to live in a house that's illuminated, that's integrated, that's interconnected. And that leads to an experience of being really secure and at home in self and in relationship. So Jenny is a depth psychologist. And so I wonder what you think of this analogy, Jenny, the, 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 the basement, the locked depths in our, in our own internal homes. I love it. Well, I love anything, all the different ways we can, we can use the imagination and the imaginal to illustrate this concept of shadow work or shadow or the unconscious or all that, all that yummy richness. Um, I love that. I love that metaphor. I mean, it's beautiful because it, it creates the foundation upon which the rest of the house can be built. And so it speaks to me. I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about where authentic relating came from, where it originated and how, where, how it developed. And also what is its relationship to other communication practices that we're hearing about, like nonviolent communication or circling, or yeah. can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, well, I'd say authentic relating certainly uh, is built upon the work of the great psychologists of the past, you know, 60, 80 years, Carl Jung, for sure, in his, you know, development of, of shadow and shadow work and his value for wholeness, Carl Rogers, uh, certainly in his value for the, the, the skill of reflection of really being with the person in their world. Uh, Fritz Perls and Gestalt therapy. Um, so there's there's certainly some recognizable lineages in the psychology world that have informed this practice. Uh, and then you mentioned circling that that's been more of a formal structure for really being with each other in a profound, deep, whole way. Uh, really, uh, for for us, authentic relating has been deconstructing the practice of circling and teaching the constituent skills and tools so that people get to experience that depth of connection, of intimacy, uh, of closeness, of revealing anywhere and everywhere with anyone, anytime. There, you know, there, there's sort of like anecdotal backgrounds, you know, there are stories, fables from which this came. It's a fairly new sort of modality. It's probably maybe 20, 25 years old, I would say. Um, and then there were certain communities, primarily in San Francisco, uh, and then in here in Boulder and then in Europe, they were starting to spring up. They were taking the very first sort of explorations of this practice and formalizing them into workshops 
and uh, you know communities. I would say us at Art, we our whole mission has been to really bring authentic relating to a much broader, wider audience. It had always been really confined to more of the personal development communities. And when I first encountered it, I for me, I realized that this is this is a language of human connection that everyone should have access to. It shouldn't be constrained or limited to the certain few who have the luxury of taking time off for a workshop or who can afford it like that. I really wanted to bring it to a mainstream audience. And uh, at the time that we started our, we also started a nonprofit uh, organization to bring these skills and tools to inmates in prisons and jails, because I was so convinced that the suite of skills and tools were as applicable to, you know, the most non-workshop experienced person on the planet. You know, it's just fundamental skills for human connection that I think we all really could greatly benefit from, if not outright need. I mean, it's no secret that the quality of our relationships dictate the quality of our lives, right? If you talk to people nearing the end of their lives, what regrets do you have? Most often they regret not spending more time with the people that they love and care about. And yet we don't, we were never, most of us were never taught skills and tools, resources and practices to be able to derive the most quality experience, the most nourishment from our intimate connection. So, you know, I think for us, we've really advanced the evolution of this practice to making it relevant to a mainstream audience. And interestingly, as deep as I've been in this world, it's a little bit ambiguous as to the very specific pioneering milestones that started this this whole practice, which to me says that it's actually almost latent in the human collective consciousness that we're in some way bringing back and making explicit and formalizing into a set of skills and tools. Um, but I, I think it lives in all of us. I think we are all programmed to thrive in human connection and community. And I think we lost our way somewhere along the line. And we're here to just, you know, sort of bring us back into connection with each other. The Ryle you mentioned the second practice of authentic relating, which is assume nothing. There are four other ones. I want to be mindful of time. So I want to focus on the first one, which I think is, it's really powerful, but it's also really edgy. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but it's welcome everything. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about where this came from, how people can begin to practice welcome everything and how does it lead to greater, more authentic connection? And j before you answer that, could you just for the listeners, just run through the five, just, just name the five and then d dive deep into one uh, yeah. per Justin's question. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it's welcome everything, assume nothing, reveal your experience, own your experience and honor self and other. Uh, and I, for sure, I could spend a lot of time on each of those, but welcome. Everything is the first one for us. It's the gateway. It's the first step. Can't really skip it and access the rest of the practice. And it really speaks to what we were exploring earlier on the nature of shadow, the parts of us that we turn away from, suppress, avoid. You know, just imagine being in relationship with someone, something bothers you about being in connection with this person, something they did or said. But you don't say anything, you just push it down and you just carry on and pretend like it didn't happen. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. Imagine the impact of that. Likely it's going to lead to some simmering resentment if it's not named and brought into the space, if it's not welcome. And, and then that starts to pit us against the other, right? It's like me against you. It's a zero sum game. 
And so welcome everything, for one thing, creates the conditions in which the people that I'm in relationship with are my allies and fellow collaborators. No matter what is coming up for either of us, we get to bring it into the shared space and explore it together. We have a whole bunch of skills and tools for how to bring some of these aspects into a shared space in a way that remains relational and connective. But really at its essence, Welcome Everything is the invitation to look at all that's happening, to notice more. For sure, I think the greatest transformation that occurs in this practice is the practice of noticing, noticing what's happening in myself. And, and as I start to notice, I start to notice more and more and more of the subtleties and nuances of my present moment experience. And all of that is actually cultivating intimacy with my own self. And again, cultivating that experience of being at home in my skin and in my body, in my life. Uh, welcome everything then scales out to the whole world. What parts of the world am I pushing away or ignoring or pretending like they don't exist? How is that going to then manifest? It, it likely manifests in a kind of split inside of myself. Uh, and so welcome everything has us look toward, lean toward, open our eyes, open our senses, what's actually happening there. It does not mean uh, agreeing with or approving of or aligning with. It just simply means becoming aware of. And then from that awareness, we have the opportunity to make intelligent choices in life instead of just reacting or being reflexive based on partial information because we're suppressing or turning away from aspects or dimensions of ourselves, others, or the world. I remember first hearing this and I was like, welcome everything, like really everything. Uh, and, and this was a really cool practice for me is like, oh yeah, even that, even that, <laughs> yeah, like, can I just be aware of that with, without, without trying to lock it away, push it away. I'm in relationship with another person. I, maybe we are entering, there's some friction here. I want to, I, I don't want there to be friction. So how would I welcome the friction that might be coming up or conflict that might be arising something in the other person that I don't want to welcome? Yeah. Well, a couple, couple responses. One is you get to welcome even the part of you that doesn't welcome without needing to change it or fix it. Right? That itself, often it's the welcoming of our own resistance or avoidance that can alleviate it and dissolve it. So I would say that. And then we have an enormous value for capacity to be uncomfortable without trying to alleviate it or run away from it or escape it. Actually lean into discomfort, or at least the experiences that we commonly describe as discomfort. And to explore it, to breathe into it. A lot of our work is around staying rooted in our bodies, in our breath, in our equanimity, to feel grounded within ourselves. And over time, I mean, it is a practice just like learning anything. Over time, we can and do develop a capacity to be ever more with experiences that we describe as uncomfortable. And it's through the surrendering into it, the leaning into it, the welcoming of it, that the discomfort actually can itself be alleviated and, and almost like a fog is lifted to reveal the makings of what is real and true intimacy. I think it's vital that we cultivate a capacity for discomfort if we are committed to experiencing the depth of intimacy that is available between us and others. I love this so much. I love this so much because 
I'm thinking about, I work with a lot of therapists and, and do consultation and training and <clears throat> some, something that therapists really, especially starting out really are, are quite frightened of and anxious about is what we call negative transference, right? When there's something that shows up in the field between the therapist and the person that they're, they're with. And I always just say it's grist for the mill, you know, it's if, because if you can trust and have faith in the the fact that there's liberation on the other side of that discomfort because like you're saying once it's made explicit there's liberation it might be the freedom to be in the there you're free you're free to be in the truth and the truth might mean that we come closer together and create more intimacy and sometimes it means we we come apart i mean that does sometimes happen but either way it's the truth and it's clear and it's explicit and it's freedom so amen to this. I just, I love it. And there's a way I think too, like you're saying, just to grow some resilience around discomfort and realize doing that internal work of understanding it's not actually annihilating, even though it can feel like it is or that it will be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and as, you, as you pointed out, you know, over time, as we are willing to remain, to rest, to breathe in discomfort or being on our edge, as it turns out, our comfort zone expands. That which used to feel terrifying or so confronting, we're actually willing to rest there and be there and explore there. Over time, it'll become all the more natural and easy and comfortable and grounding to be in these places. Yeah. I mean, I have multiple personal experiences of areas of the human life that I was terrified of. I mean, pu public speaking, you know, to name one that's pretty universal, terrified. I mean, it's existential crisis, you know, and, and as I cultivated my passion for this work and was ever more leading things and, you know, in the spotlight, the comfort zone expanded more and more, ever more so incrementally until, you know, now I'm, I'm excited to get on stage in front of hundreds of people and share about this yeah. work and, and whatever else. So, you know, that's one of the great features of the human experience. One of the great gifts is our ability to transmute that which was uncomfortable into something that's eminently comfortable. And, and we can apply that to, to everywhere we want to look in life. And now scientists would just call it neuroplasticity. That's so like clinical. I, <laughs> yes, we have the ability to transmute. I love it. <laughs> so Ryle, I want to make sure we have enough time to try something, but I just realized I did not get explicit permission from Jenny Jenny, are you up for tr trying an, an AR game or an AR practice? Yeah, sure. I was. I thought I was going to watch you two since you're pros. Oh well, I'm certainly not a pro, but I'm happy to do it with with, with Ryle if you if uh, Ryle's up uh, up for that. And if yeah, for sure. What do you have in mind? <laughs> oh well, I, okay, okay. So I mean, you you are like, gosh, you wrote the book on it. So is this <laughs> okay. yeah. So is there an AR practice that would be you, th you think would be okay for a podcast like eye gazing might not work on a podcast, but um, yeah. <laughs> riveting. That would yeah. be riveting. <laughs> That's funny. It's interesting that you mentioned eye gazing. We, we, you associate eye gazing with, you know, sort of being in workshops and especially around this type of stuff. And that's what we were doing very early on. And we realized actually that there is such a depth of intimacy in eye gazing that often can't be boundaried against with choice, with discretion. You know, if I say, okay, everybody start eye gazing, it's I've skipped a massively important step. 
which mm. is consent and checking in. Am I available for this depth of intimacy with someone? You know, we want to empower people to arrive at a you know context of connection that's really right for them and aligned with their truth. And yeah, I love that you're you've said this three times now, and I think it's really so important this that it the authenticity starts here with self. You know, what what am I up for? I was thrown into eye gazing the first day of graduate school at their at therapy school and uh with with 25 there's like 25 people I've never met before and you're you're so vulnerable going into this program and you don't know what to expect and it was it was terrifying it was too much you know so I appreciate you saying the the consent part is important yeah totally um so you know I would say one of the most fundamental practices we have is simply noticing that, that that's probably one of the most useful easily sort of digestible uh, for people to understand. And it also speaks to the, the the value, the experience, the depth of connection that's available in the present moment, here and now. Often we're just lost in story. We're talking about things that are outside of the here and now, and to bring the attention and focus to what's happening right here, right now with us is uh, most often what produces the most intimacy and presence and trust and connection. Uh, and so what we call the noticing game is one of the easiest and earliest that we introduce uh, to students to get a real sense of the spirit of the practice. All right. So the noticing game, Jenny, I just want to check. Do you want to do the, yeah, the yeah, noticing no, I'll, game? I'll, or? If we have time for all three, let's all notice. Let's. Oh, well, it, 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 now can this be done, done in threes? Because I've, I've only done it in pairs. No, you can do it however many people there are. Okay. Just go well, around, you know. Well, all right. So we'll just go around. Rael, will you, uh, so it starts off with, with, with the first person saying, being, being with you, I notice. And then everybody else is, is going to follow hearing that. Correct. That's right. So hearing that, I notice. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So we'll just go around a few times. And, you know, the invitation here is to soften or drop any filters that might be in the way, to let go of any scripts that might be sort of programmed in the mind. And to really check in and trust whatever's coming through, whatever is alive and present for you in the moment that you start to share what you're noticing. Cool. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah. All right. Cool. cool. So, so right. Justin, why don't you start us off, and then oh, and then maybe oh my gosh, we'll okay, go to me I and then Jenny, and then we'll just go around a few times. Okay. Okay. I was not prepared to start off. So being with you both, I notice. Well, I noticed a desire to bring my attention inward and it was really outwardly focused. I was thinking about questions and both of you. And now in this game, I notice I really want to check in with myself and I hadn't been checking in with myself. Nice. Yeah. Hearing that, I noticed a desire to slow down, to join you in that. And then there's also this sort of niggly like awareness that people are watching this and that we're supposed to be providing some kind of value for people. And it's distinctly different than us just being in a room together ourselves. Uh, and I, it also has a very visceral impact on me of wanting to slow down and stay in touch with my inner world. And I notice when you say that, that I have lots of parts that are very awake in this moment as I check in and 
it's difficult for me to feel the way I want to feel of, of like really dropping in. I find that my attention's going in lots of different places of feeling aware that this is being recorded, that I'm in front of someone I've never met before, feeling a lot of vulnerability with different parts, wanting to do it right and be good at it. Hmm. Hearing that, I notice a, an even further slowing down and calming as you shared that, Jenny, just getting a window into your world and feeling some resonance, but also feeling like, oh yeah, I know Ryle. I've known Ryle for a couple of years now. And this is, this is a calmer, easier experience for me. But even so, I, I'm noticing all of the buzziness and activity as well. So I'm noticing a connection with you, Jenny. No. Hearing that, I'm I'm noticing now that the two of you know each other probably better than any other configuration here. So maybe I'm the one who's <laughs> on the outside looking <laughs> in or something, which then taps into a, a lifelong pattern of feeling like I'm on the outside and appearing in through the glass of everyone else getting it or having fun or on the program. And yeah, there's a little hint of sadness as I touch that part of me. Hearing that, I notice both more connection with each of you and 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 resonance with what you just shared in that I too have that that feeling of being the outsider being very awkward. I can feel my armpits have been sweating throughout this conversation, and that's a familiar bodily feeling I have of this kind of anxiety. Um, but I feel a calming in hearing you say that and hearing you share your experience. So we went around twice. I'll, 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 uh, Ryle, is there a way to like close out the game or does it, because I've only done this in, in scenarios where it's been timed and it's yeah. just like, you're done. Yeah. Is there some sort of natural close? <laughs> I mean, no, it's five hours later. We're still yeah. here. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the kind of thing that you could do one exchange back and forth and that's meaningful. And you could go on for hours, literally hours and hours, which I've done in this exact format, just going around and just gets deeper and deeper, more and more sort of transcendent. Uh, we become ever more kind of unified and connected. So I think that was a really sweet little taste of uh, what's mm. possible, you know, and even oh. here, just, just in that little exercise, you know, I imagine we all feel a little bit closer and more dropped in, more connected. Totally. And what I love about this practice is it, I mean, it, it really does touch on all of the authentic relating or all, on all the five practices. Do you find that, Ryle, that it like you get to do them all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I don't, it's like, I don't think about the, the sort of theory of it, you know, which is <laughs> actually, I'm not, I'm not alone in that very quickly. You know, people are exposed to this work and start to step into it recognize that it, it's it's already embodied we're just almost kind of reactivating the dormant circuits that live within but you, yeah as you pointed out absolutely yeah it's it, the noticing game really does encompass so much of the spirit of this practice uh so i was at a retreat a couple months ago and uh, there was some authentic relating at this retreat and we did the noticing game and we would circle around and 
I, I was one of the few people who had ever been exposed to any of this. And so I would go around and so I would be paired up with people who had never done this before is great. But one of the things that I noticed was how quickly almost all of my partners would say something like, hearing that makes makes me feel. And one of the things I learned in authentic relating was or like noticing that, just notice what you're feeling, not not that so well there there's this is is it the fourth practice where it's own your experience, right? Yeah. So someone didn't make you feel that you can you can own own your experience. You can say, I'm noticing, right? So I'm noticing maybe a feeling of being left out, not yeah. that hearing that makes me feel yeah. left out. And it's this like powerful trans transformation. Well, yeah. I mean, encoded in a statement like you're making me feel this way means I'm giving you power over my experience more than my own. Like you're now dictating my experience, right? So it's inherently disempowering, I think, to use language like that. And I don't think it's accurate, right? You, you feel impact. We have enormous, you know, principle, practice, and value around feeling impact. Things happen in the world and with people that naturally are going to have impact on you. And so the practice is to name that impact. This is how I'm feeling in this moment, being with you or being with this or being in the world. And then the beauty of this owning, as, as, as you did so beautifully, is that when you own it and you noted this lifelong pattern, so what the feeling that you were able to notice was then also related to so much more. And that speaks to well, what you were saying before, how once once we start to reveal, once once we start to open up, there, there's just so much more depth here that than we could ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we have this concept called the hologram, which essentially says that how you show up in one moment is how you show up in every moment, which is a, sort of an allusion to a reference to the underlying patterns that run us all through life, right? So if I have a pattern or a wound or you know, a sensitivity around being on the outside or left out. I'm going to notice instances of that or find evidence for that all over the place. And they don't exist in a vacuum, these isolated instances. They're connected to an underlying pattern. And because authentic relating is such an illuminating practice, it helps me, has helped me see the underlying pattern. And then I have an opportunity to heal it, to integrate it, to transform it instead of just being enslaved to it unconsciously and, and, and that, you know, pretending like these are just isolated moments that are dictated by the current circumstance. They're not, they're all interconnected and interwoven. It seems like I when you said the word practice, that the practice, the practicing is really about for, I'm imagining for a lot of folks, just even tuning into what it is they're experiencing and feeling, which may be a completely foreign concept, let alone sharing it with another human being. Um, you know, when people don't have that, just especially who grew up in families where their internal world was not held no value and wasn't something that was they were ever invited to engage with or, or language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a whole rich world happening. I mean, I spend most of my life right up until I discovered this practice, totally cut off from my body, totally disembodied, disassociated. I didn't know any different, but I was still being run by all the things that were happening in my unconscious self, just had no awareness of them, couldn't speak to them, couldn't reveal them. 
couldn't name them. Um, and so it's been, you know, an extraordinary practice in these last 10 years that I've been in this to be able to reconnect with the richness of my inner world. And there's just so much happening there. You know, there's, there's so much information and guidance. Another thing that Gabar Mate has said is that our bodies are living repositories or archives of collective wisdom that's been passed through the generations that, that, that sort of gut sense that we sometimes have. It just feels right or wrong, or something is aligned or not aligned. It's just a feeling. That's what he's talking about. And in our ever, you know, accelerating uh, modern world, the the fall one of the fallouts of that is losing contact with that sense of inner guidance and intuition that has been refined over multiple generations to keep us oriented to keep us alert and awake and attuned and oriented we're losing contact with that and and i think we're seeing the fallout the consequences the ramifications of that disassociation manifested in collective breakdown we have time for i think just one last question we had a bunch more lined up but one last one and then we'll go into our final quick three so for someone who has started to dip their toes into authentic relating, took a couple training classes, love it, doing the practice, how do they bring authentic relating into conflicts that might be arising with other people in their lives who know nothing about authentic relating? Yeah. So how do we actually do this with the vast majority of people who've never heard about this stuff, never practiced. Yeah. Well, we, that was the question we strove to answer from the very beginning in designing every one of our courses to make it such that the people who graduated from our courses could bring these skills and tools into connection relationship with people who never would have never have been otherwise exposed to it and still be able to facilitate meaningful, deep, intimate connections and relationships. That's been an, a central principle and value that we've had in designing all of our courses. So we spend at the level one, which is our introductory course, we spend uh, the last almost third of the course exploring conflict and skills and tools that we can take on to navigate through conflict. Often people just have it in their mind that conflict is an unfortunate byproduct of humans bumping into each other, and it's best to be uh, ideally avoided. And if it can't be avoided, just to get through it as quickly as possible and out the other side. And for us, Actually, conflict is a profoundly intelligent mechanism of a healthy relationship. It's necessary. It's exactly designed to reveal and unearth the hidden, the unexpressed, the suppressed, and bring it out into the open so that we have an opportunity to see it, to look at it, to collaborate in how we want to navigate through it. With skill and the right intention, conflict always transforms to more intimacy, more empathy, more understanding. So it's actually an essential component of healthy relationships and and um it benefits enormously benefits from bringing specific skills so you know we teach all that at our courses but yeah i mean uh, essentially it's it so much of it is built upon listening my listening is the most important precursor for being able to really cultivate deep whole conscious relationship with people especially through conflict so that's where we benefit from slowing down from tuning into the body, what pattern of mine is being manifested or expressed or concentrated in this moment? What am I really afraid of? It's almost never about what's happening at the surface. 
and almost always about something deeper, right? And so by slowing down, by bringing ourselves into collaboration and alignment with someone, allyship with someone, we get to peel the layers back and look at what the deeper layers are. And those are just so human. They're, 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 they're so tender and human. And, and we get to feel closer in those instead of pitting ourselves against each other. Um, so that's, that's a little taste. You know, we'd, we'd need more time to go into the specific skills. I want to, I think that's a perfect segue to talk about uh, authentic relating training. So if people want to dive deeper, want to get to know more about this, uh, you have online and in-person trainings. Um, can you say a little bit about uh, art and just any other way people can get involved in what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So at art, we offer both in-person and online courses. The in-person courses are all around the world. On a regular basis, we've been in over 50 locations on five continents. And then online, they're running all year round. So I recommend people to go to the website, authenticrelating.co. It's all there. Lots of free uh, materials. We run twice weekly free community calls that, that we welcome anyone who wants to get a taste. Uh, so you can come check those out. Um, I have a new book out. You can see it right behind me there. Uh, called Authentic Relating, a guide to rich, meaningful, nourishing relationships that just came out about three months ago and available on Amazon and elsewhere. So that's another resource. And then you can come check me out at my website, ryocastano.com. And I offer coaching primarily now. I've kind of migrated out of group facilitation and more into coaching. Um, so that that's a quick summary of next steps people could take. Awesome. So, Ryle, our final three questions we give every guest. First, if you could put a post-it note on everyone's fridge, everyone in the world, what would that post-it note say? Tomorrow morning, right there. Slow down. Slow down. And Just hearing that makes me want to take a deep breath. You know? <laughs> it's never about like, I don't know. I mean, I guess the only time you don't want to slow down is if your house is on fire, there's an emergency or, or but, something. But, but I, I mean, wanna, I want to just jump in. Even then, if you're just re reacting like a crazy chaotic, chaotic, you know, chicken with their head cut off, you're going to make rash decisions because you're, you're just operating from a very limited part of your neurobiology. Even if your house is on fire, take three seconds even just yes, to bring online yes. some more rational thought and how to navigate this experience and you will benefit from it. Uh, I learned something today. Well, it makes me think of the Navy SEALs have, have a quote, right? About like the slow, it, slow is smooth and smooth is fast or I don't know, something like, <laughs> like that. But yeah, always, always I mean, go like, slow. Like Eat. the tortoise and the hare. Everybody knows that story, right? I mean, this <laughs> is like, not, I'm, this not rocket science. I just think we forget. It's so, it's, I think it's so laden into our, our deep awareness, right? I rem remember reading just very briefly, I'll share this, this study that looked at the um, habits of indigenous tribes around the world. And, and universally, these tribes spent more time doing nothing than any other activity. Like overwhelmingly amount of time did they spend literally idling, lazy, nothing, non-active right so i think it's like we're hardwired it's for deeply it. ingrained in us we just <laughs> yes. somehow you know find ourselves on this treadmill yes well as a recovering academic i i always just i or i i try to never say always and so it's all, i continuously try to think about the you know one one 
scenario where you wouldn't want to slow down, but maybe you always, always want to slow down 100% of the time. Um, okay, okay. So the second question is, what is the last quote that changed the way you think or feel or just really moved you? Hmm. I mean, I've always kept the one I shared earlier close to me. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. Um, you know, I'm always partial to some of the more famous young Carl Jung quotes. Until you make the unconscious conscious, you will call it fate. One that I've said that just sort of bubbled up is you cannot prepare for future authenticity. Right. So you, mm. that, that is the sort of yeah. antidote to the scripts that are ingrained in us. Just let those go. Just be in the moment, unprepared, unscripted, be messy, be human, you know, be vulnerable and see what happens. Mm, I love that. Thank you. And the third and final question is, what is one thing that is giving you hope right now? I would say, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is having come into contact with people like yourselves here who are really committed to awakening and healing and depolarization and reconnection uh, at the highest levels. You know, I, I'm fortunate that I get to live in a world where I come into contact with people really doing the hard work of trying to remind us of our shared humanity. And then they're out there. We're out there, you know, and we get shut down and, you know, uh, stumble and we just keep going. And I'm, I'm very blessed to be surrounded by and connected to many other humans around the world who are really striving to remind us that we are all human and we all need each other more than we don't. Beautiful. Ryle, thank you so much. This is an honor. This is uh, the second time on the podcast, but uh, will will not be the last. <laughs> awesome. I'm noticing <laughs> you. as you say that, I'm in deep gratitude for you and the work that you're doing. And thanks for spending the time with us today to share it with, with more and more people. Mm, thank you so much. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Always enjoy being here with you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next time. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.